Welcome to Elevate, the masterclass where we dissect the elements of exceptional achievement and lifestyle design with a focus on personal growth and real estate investing. Now, here's your host, Tyler Chesser. Elevate Nation, welcome back. This is Tyler Chesser. I'm so thankful to have you here. And I am blessed and grateful to be sitting with Barbara Oakley today. Oh my goodness, I had so much fun in this conversation. You are going to have so much fun in this conversation. Let me just tell you, today you are going to learn how to become a master. You're going to learn what it means to change your brain, what it means to learn more effectively and the keys behind learning more effectively, expanding your horizons and expanding your effectiveness, but really making it all easier at the same time. And so I just want to welcome you to this conversation. You are about to take your life to the next level. I want to ask you that question that I always ask, are you ready to take it to another level? I have no doubt we're going to do that today. And in fact, I'm telling you, you are. So buckle up. And I want to welcome you back to the show where we sit down for mind-expanding conversations with influential authorities in real estate, as well as top experts in other industries and disciplines. Today is going to show you exactly why we do that, exactly why we verge beyond just real estate. If you want to be a high-performing real estate investor, it's not just about studying real estate. It's about applying so many other concepts and so many other wide-ranging arrays of learning and so today is really going to take your life to the next level i'm telling you right now this can be a transformative episode this is for high performing real estate investors who have a burning desire to be even higher performing and to be extraordinary and to make an extraordinary impact it is our mission to identify and apply how the best of the best raise the bar personally and professionally to achieve greatness in real estate and beyond and of course we distill the mindset, the habits, the routines, the systems, the tools, the strategies, and the learning techniques from those who are elevating to a life without limits so that you can do more and even more for yourself, really. And this is a masterclass for leaders and those looking to achieve uncommon results and purposeful outcomes through personal growth, through real estate investing, through other ventures, and most importantly, and ultimately in their lives. If you're enjoying Elevate, I just wanna thank you so much for being here. I wanna invite you to subscribe, to follow the show, and to give us a rating and review. It certainly helps as we continue to bring on world-class individuals like Barbara Oakley, and we continue to pour in massive value for yourself. The fee for being here, the fee for listening, of course, it's 100% for free. All we ask is that you pay it forward and share this with one friend, one colleague, one business associate, or one family member. And all you have to do is just grab that link and shoot that over. Go ahead and do that right now. And I want to thank you so much for doing that. I want to thank you so much for being a part of Elevate Nation. So, so grateful for you. And I want to introduce you to Barbara Oakley, PhD, who is a professor of engineering at Oakland University in Rochester, Michigan. Her work focuses on the complex relationship between neuroscience and social behavior. She created and teaches Coursera, UC San Diego's Learning How to Learn, one of the most popular massive open online courses with over 3 million registered students, along with the popular top MOOCs of all time. Barb is the New York Times bestselling author who has published in outlets as varied as the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences, the Wall Street Journal, and the New York Times. Her book, A Mind for Numbers, has sold over a million copies worldwide, and she is a fellow of the Institute of Electrical and Electronic Engineers and the American Institute for Medical and Biological Engineering, of course, Take a look at the show notes because we are linking to her book, A Mind for Numbers, and be on the lookout because she's got two new books coming out this year as well. And this is an amazing, I'm just telling you right now, this is an unbelievable conversation with the great, the beautiful mind, the beautiful human being, the beautiful soul, Barbara Oakley. Enjoy. Barbara, welcome to the show. How are you? Oh, doing just fantastic, Tyler, and I'm glad to be here. Oh my goodness. Well, I know that I had so much fun. I mean, we just spent 15 minutes together and we talked a lot about, you know, obviously where you are and some real estate stuff, which was also really exciting for me to be able to share some of my expertise with you. But it's really, really exciting for me to sit down and delve into your expertise, as I mentioned prior to really starting recording today. Before we do that, Barbara, I would love nothing more than to really get an understanding about you, the true essence of you. And, and the way that I like to do this is to ask if you were to describe yourself in the way that maybe your spouse does, your children or your family or your closest friends, what would they say about Barbara Oakley? Oh, they'd say, oh, she is a publicly 
happy and delighted individual. And she only does that because it makes her feel better and it hides her inner curmudgeon. <laughs> okay, so I'm, I'm, I'm sensing a little bit of, uh, you know, mischievousness here on that one. What do you think? Oh, uh, yeah, I think that's a pretty <laughs> perceptive comment. Uh, I just love mis mischief being mischievous. You are and you were it was funny, we were talking before the show, you're like, can we get a little silly today? And I, I didn't expect that from you. Where does the silliness come from? Oh, um, you know, I, I wish I knew because it is so funny. Uh, I'm like the world's most boring person. I, <laughs> I, I'll sit around my, my poor husband. He, he, he puts up with me raving about some biography of, say, Peter the Great. And then I'll go on for so long about it that I am, I am quashed. No further discussion of Peter the Great, because I can just be so boring to listen to. And, um, but when I get in front of people like audiences, I used to be so horrifically shy, and I, I still am pretty shy. But it's like this funny comes out of nowhere. I'm just like, who said that? I didn't say that. That's kind of funny. Isn't that interesting? Because I'm not funny. <laughs> and uh, I don't know where it comes from. Now, my brother, on he is funny, but I'm pretty, mostly I'm just pretty boring. <laughs> well, maybe that's in the eye of the beholder, because I would imagine that some of the stuff that you share not only from an intellectual and a curious perspective, but obviously what I know about your work to me is nowhere near boring. So what do you <laughs> think about that? Maybe you're being a little bit humble here. Uh, um, oh, gosh. I, I suppose it's pretty easy to get the humble brag uh, business down pretty <laughs> pat. Uh, um, and there's no question, but you have to have some degree of certainty that what you're doing is an appropriate thing that you are really following something that is, to my mind at least, uh, very fact-based, very helpful for others. And, and you have to have some degree of certitude because there's a lot of people out there that I don't care what you're doing, they're gonna say, you know, you're a, dare I say it online, a jackass, and you're going off on the wrong track. You're saying something that's simply not true. Um, and it, it amazed me. I was reading a, a biography of George Washington. Now, George Washington was so discouraged at the end of his life at all of the naysayers about, you know, everything he'd been doing. Can you imagine that? I mean, George freaking Washington is getting attacked mm. all over the place. So, um, so I think that anyone who's really trying to do something that is, uh, that is helpful for others, that's a little bit outside the norm, they have to have some degree of internal certitude. Um, <clears throat> my favorite, one of my favorite books is a biography of John Boyd, the, the famous fighter pilot. And one of, so John Boyd uh, came up with a lot of ideas about how to win in aerial combat. But then he also, um, as his life developed, and you can't be a fighter pilot all your life because if inevitably you're going to age and then it's not going to be so lucky for you. But he began uh, analyzing battle tactics and so forth and, and what was going on in military funding of major projects and so forth. And he finally, he kind of came to this conclusion that you can either be somebody or you can do something. And in other words, you can become the, the big major general, uh, you know, who's gotten all these awards and accolades and so forth, or you can actually be someone who's behind the scenes making things really happen, and you're not going to be liked. For example, it, him working with military budgets, he was trying to come up with a really low-cost plane, which didn't make a lot of the, um, the companies that were providing the equipment very happy at all. So he was actually, he was being, you know, he was doing something that was really important, but it was not gonna get him promoted to, uh, you know, the highest ranks of the service and so forth. 
So I sometimes think that it's like that in, you know, it, it is clearly like that in many dif disciplines. You can, or, or uh, whatever you're working in, you can either be somebody or you can actually do something. You can get all the accolades because you're doing what people want to hear, or you can do something that actually makes a difference for people. So uh, I, whenever I get naysayers, I like to say, well, it's because I'm doing something. <laughs> That's amazing. And you talked about the internal certitude, which I found to be a really unique, not only phrase, but also just thought in general. And so I'd be curious, where did that originate for you? And when did you know that you were on a certain path that you were really doing something and you were really serving humanity in the way that you were meant to? Is there, is there a moment in time where you recognize that yourself? I don't think, I think for most people, there's not like a, you know, wow, bolt of lightning. Uh, I've suddenly realized I'm doing something that is important or that you feel is, we all are working on things that are important, uh, you know, mostly. Um, and and in, in different levels, in different ways. I mean, when I was a stay-at-home mom, I was doing something that was very important. And, um, you know, so, but it's hard to say. See, it's so easy. If you grow up, I think particularly, different people have different ways of not going with the flow, but of actually being able to think independently and do things that are independent. So if you look at Thomas Kuhn, for example, and his structure of scientific revolutions, which was a, a seminal book in the study of the history of science, he found that people who can make paradigm shifts, in other words, very important changes of direction in, uh, in science uh, often come from two different perspectives. Number one, they're young, and so they don't have that indoctrination of how to look at things. Number two, they, come, they, can, they are older, but they come from a different discipline. So let's say uh, if we put this in, in the perspective of real estate investments, um, you may think, oh, you know, I can't learn about real estate. I mean, I'm, I'm 50 years old. I, I, I've never done anything like this before. There's no way I can, I can do something. Actually, you are in a terrific position to begin learning about these kinds of investments because you bring fresh perspectives from all the different kinds of experiences you have that are not those of a person who's been investing in real estate since we were a kid. So, I mean, sure, you have a lot to learn from them, but you actually can bring some interesting new insights just by virtue of all this other experience that you have. So, um, you know, but I guess just stepping into the idea of, um, you know, I, I think that being able to look at things with fresh perspectives is a difficult thing to do because you are so often swayed by what everybody around you is doing and being able to break from the herd and think independently. So for example, um, during the 2008 crash, there was a very well-esteemed economist who put together all the big picture and was like, you guys, it's going to happen. It's going to happen really soon. And he even wrote about, he said, I couldn't bring myself to say that publicly because I knew I would be vilified if I did it. So he just couldn't break from the pack, even though he could actually see what was going on. So, um, but, you know, being able to look at the facts for yourself and draw your own conclusions is, um, you know, it's, you can do that from many different, uh, for many different reasons. You may have a, a very good way of looking at the, uh, you know, a data analysis and being able to overcome your own personal biases and actually see what the data is telling you. Um, and I could go off on a long tangent about procedural learning and how that subconsciously influences your ability to think uh, in, a, in what is truly an objective way, 
uh, you you have some people can have real difficulties because they've got all these subconscious biases arising from their procedural systems. But that's that's a very long conversation, and it's a really fun one. And that's actually my next book and project I'm going to work on is how the procedural system influences our abilities to think critically. But for me, I think one thing that has um, influenced my abilities to just kind of look and think differently than other people is growing up it by moving all around all the time. And what that did was um, you often have allegiances to the people you are around. So let's say you are in a uh, a union, you will have allegiances to the union. Let's say that you are in a real estate group, you ha will have allegiances to your, the people you know in the real estate group. Uh, you, um, you will have allegiances to your community and so forth. Moving around for me all the time uh, growing up got me used to um, ditching allegiances and being able to think more independently without being swayed by what everybody else is doing. So it isn't like I have some brilliant mind, you know, that's pretty clear. Cause I, I think part of why I get where I get is cause I'm, I've got an average mind, but I can kind of reframe things so that other people can understand things. So that, and if I had a better mind, then I wouldn't be able to do that. Cause I just understand it, you know, in a complex way. But um, so, uh, I, I think however you can kind of get yourself away from allegiances and think independently about what you're doing can be uh, beneficial for many different reasons in all sorts of different uh, areas. And I would especially think that that would uh, be regarding real estate investing. This is extremely powerful. And I love everything that you just shared there. One of the things that I really have enjoyed about getting more familiar with you, Barbara, is your love for learning and your love for teaching others how to learn. And one of the things that you've said is learning how to learn is the most powerful tool that you can ever master. And I'd love for you to just expand upon that thought. Why is this the most powerful tool that whether you're a real estate investor, whether you're a human being in general, why is this the most powerful tool you can master? Well, I mean, if you think about anything you do, it involves learning how to do it. And I mean, it goes without saying almost that if you can learn more effectively, then you can really add to your arsenal of knowledge of expertise much more efficiently. But it isn't just that you're learning about this particular area. I think it's really important in whatever we're doing, not to just follow our passions, but to broaden our passions. In other words, you would want to know a lot about real estate, but you also want to know a lot about other things because it's amazing how just you happen to read this book about, you know, um, maybe, uh, the history of Iran from 1600s to the present day. And by golly, there was this one guy that was doing this one thing there. And it gives you a metaphorical uh, understanding of how to tackle a problem that you are addressing right now. So broad learning can bring through metaphor really intriguing answers to uh, various questions that for example, even in investing itself, I've, I've spoken with uh, top investors, and one thing they often do is they'll read every book out there in investing that you could possibly read and be a single human being and read. But everybody else who's into investing is doing exactly the same thing. So how are you going to be uh, an innovative investor? Well, a good way to do it is to devote some little marginal five to 10% of your time, not just reading about investments, but reading about anything else. Because again, through metaphor, and we now know that the brain uses what it's, it's called neural reuse theory. So if you understand one concept, you can use it to much more easily um, understand other concepts that are in whatever way 
uh, related. For example, the flow of water or the flow of crowds can be used as a metaphor to better understand electrical current flow. Um, so, uh, you know, using metaphors and learning much more broadly, I think, is a is a, a very powerful tool. And I so I I just think learning is plus it's like it's healthy for you. People often don't realize that learning itself helps it helps you to grow new neurons, and, and especially if you couple it with some exercise. And I'm not talking world-class, getting out there, beating your whatever. You know, if you have, a, you know, some walking every day or something kind of thing like that. Um, but whatever exercise coupled with learning is like this one-two punch that makes you more cognitively um, aware and capable of handling things one thing I should mention that it has that I've found surprising is recent research has shown that stress is actually um, helps keep you cognitively sharp. So they they went out and did some studies on uh, people, and the people who had the least stressful lifestyles were not as cognitively sharp as the ones with more. So every time you're sitting there going, my Zoom call, it's, you know, the audio is not working and you're trying <laughs> to figure things out. That stress actually helps keep you um, cognitively sharp. So, and Interesting. I, yeah, I do find that when people retire, sometimes it's kind of like, you can see they almost slow down a little bit mentally. So I'm hoping mm -hmm. to not retire soon. No, this is so good. And and actually, I wanted to go back to what you were talking about in terms of broadening your passions and the the value in having broadened uh, interest in different subjects and different things. And it really speaks to me personally, and I'm sure it speaks to many of the listeners here because we have almost a multidisciplinary approach in how we present this podcast as an example. You know, most real estate podcasts will talk only about real estate, as you mentioned, or how to fund your deals or how to find the next deals or how to understand the market or how to build your team or what have you. And so the thing that really has resonated with me, and I'd love to get your, your thoughts on this, Barbara, is what Warren, Warren Buffett's business partner, Charlie Munger, he wrote a book uh, called Poor Charlie's Almanac. And it's so fun because he wrote it similarly to Ben Franklin, how he wrote Poor, Rich, Poor uh, Richard's Almanac back, you know, hundreds of years ago. And he was a huge... Uh, fan of Ben Franklin, as am I. And I love the way that he approaches his life and the way that he's built his his life is it's all around multidisciplinary learning. It's about learning about psychology. It's about learning about biology. It's about learning about history. It's about studying things that have really nothing to do with your core focus, but that not only the joy and the health benefits, but also the effectiveness that it can help you really improve. So is there anything that you would say about that, Barbara? Oh, like a lot. <laughs> so first I have to tell you about the trap that I got myself into early in my life, because I listened to people who said, follow your passion. So I did that. Uh, I thought, you know what? I want to learn a language because I can't do math and science. Yeah, believe it or not, because I'm a professor of engineering now. And it's like, <laughs> I flunked my way through high school, elementary, middle, and high school math and science. But I, um, I, I, I thought at that time, I was thinking, well, since I can't do math and science, um, I want to learn a language. I'm going to follow my passion. I'm going to learn a language really well. And my, my father is like, yeah, good luck with that. How are you going to get that paid for? Because I'm not paying for you to study a language. And, um, you know, not that he was bad or anything, but he was just kind of like, well, you know, how's that going to give you a long-term career? So I was like, mm, you know, stubborn, stubborn. Yeah. Oh, hey, guess what? There's this language learning program. If I just joined the army, they'll teach me a language for free. They'll pay me for it. So I'm thinking, gosh, I've outfoxed my dad. <laughs> you know, uh, I found a, a program that they value language learning so much that they'll pay me to do it. So, so I told my dad, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to join the army. He just laughs. He's like, Oh, you're going to learn a lot, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and um, so I did. I joined it and I did learn a lot uh, outside of language learning. But, um, but I learned Russian really well. 
uh, they had an excellent, the Defense Language Institute is one of the best language learning institutes in the world. So, I mean, I'm flying on a cloud. I'm, I'm excelling at following my passion. I'm learning it really well. And then the Army, of course, in their great wisdom, they commissioned me. I, I got an in-service scholarship, so I was able to get a degree in Slavic languages and literature. And then the Army commissions me as a signal officer, which is... It's communications, but not like sitting there just talking with people. It's like communications, like this is how you set up your switchboard system. Here's the cables. And what about the radio interface and all this kind of stuff? And I'm like, you know, what's a circuit? How come it has to, you know, if it goes out, why do the electrons have to come back? You know, I, I mean, nothing. I had like zero understanding of science. <laughs> and um, so I went out and I was like the world's, worst signal officer. I graduated last in my class. Um, she said, I mean, it was almost like an otter. I mean, it was so awful. And then I got out there and I had no clue. And of course, I'm the, you know, the token female, you know, and, and to the Army's credit, they were trying to broaden things. Um, but I was just terrible at what I was doing. And but then I, I, I had always had this idea in my head that language learning is the, you know, that's my passion and that's the good thing. But I get out there and I'm like seeing all this technical equipment that's working great and is really helping people. And I had no idea how it worked at all. But all of my previous sort of conclusions that math was worthless and, you know, technology was, you know, not of any real, you know, I could care less about it were obviously really um, jejun um, conclusions, shall we say. So I decided at age 26, um, you know, I was trying to get out of the army. And of course, nobody wants to hire me because I had followed my passion. And my sole uh, professional expertise was the ability to speak Russian. You know, there's not a lot of call for, you know, people whose sole professional expertise is in speaking Russian. So I thought, well, why don't I see if I can open my mind a little bit and learn in math and science? And I started really low at remedial high school algebra and uh, it's very slowly started working my way upwards. And, um, and the higher I got, the easier it got, but I gave myself plenty of time to do that. But the moral of the story is that by just learning one thing really well, I had actually put myself in this kind of box. So, uh, so I took from that, that I really need to broaden my whole perspective of thinking about everything. And of course, when I went back, and it was very, very difficult to start retraining my brain to learn in math and science. And I'm, I'm lucky you know, I had the uh, scholarships from the service to be able to do that. And I was able to go sl slowly through and I had the, you know, internal perseverance to persevere despite the, you know, the difficulties, especially early on. But I, I have come from that to the conclusion that actually just be really, really careful of specializing. Um, specialization can be a really good thing but you, there's, there's something called the T approach to learning, which is you learn you know, like the down part of the T is the deep part. And then there's the broad part at the top. So you should have something, you know, deep, and then also a broad area that you you're shallow in. And before I just had the deep part, I didn't have the broad part. Well, I started making the broad part but then I began to realize, well, guess what? There's actually, there's something called pi kind of learning. That is like the letter pi that has two legs that go down. That's people who specialize in two things and they still have a broad at the top. And of course, I think you could go on to also pitchfork learning, you know, where you got three prongs going down. But in essence, the basic idea is, um, you know, try to broaden what you do learn because, it, it does keep you fresh. It keeps you excited. Um, you know, um, kind of uh, sharpening the saw of your expertise is an important thing to be doing, but broadening your expertise is just can be unbelievably helpful. So for example, um, it, here's just a silly example, but there's a zillion such silly examples. So, so I was, um, 
asked to go out to lunch with Cormac McCarthy, who is, uh, he's a Pulitzer Prize winner. He won, uh, you know, he wrote No Country for Old Men, All the Pretty Horse Horses, um, uh, you know, and he's a, he's a very renowned recluse who hardly meets with anyone, but he's totally brilliant. He's totally, and I'm like, oh, oh my <laughs> God, I'm going out to lunch with Cormac McCarthy. What am I going to do, you know? And so, so we sat down for lunch. We had a five hour lunch and it was just, it's like every book I've ever read somehow came into the conversation mm. or just all these different ideas. And it was so fun to speak with someone else who's like read widely and knows about lots of different things and bouncing ideas off of, you know, how he's thinking about things. And if I hadn't been learning about all these different things, it would have been a half an hour lunch, you know, instead of this great opportunity to learn from one of the world's most brilliant writers. So um, you just never know when learning broadly is going to come to some kind of, oh my goodness, you're talking to somebody and you know about that. And it just comes in handy that, you know, you happen to know about um, horseshoeing, you know, or <laughs> whatever it is. Hey guys, just a quick word from our sponsor and we'll be right back to the show. This episode of Elevate is brought to you by CF Capital. And you know how much I love real estate and how it can be a vehicle towards creating any outcome that you want in your life, which is really why we created CF Capital, a real estate investment firm that focuses on acquiring and operating multifamily assets that provide stable cash flow, capital appreciation, and a margin of safety for our investors, for our partners, and for the people that we serve. Our team leverages its expertise in acquisitions and management to provide investors like you with superior risk-adjusted returns while placing a premium on preserving capital. Our mission is to provide property investment and asset management solutions to help investors maximize their returns by investing in high-value multifamily communities. Our philosophy is that we can elevate communities together through this process. And I want to invite you to go check out cfcapllc.com because we have a free ebook that's called The Bottom Line, The 10 Ways to Increase Cash Flow in an Apartment Complex. And I want to tell you that this is a value-packed ebook. So I want to, want to invite you to go check that out right now at cfcapllc.com. I think you're going to get a ton of value just from reading this, whether you apply it to your own business or whether you educate yourself further on what it would look like if you invested with CF Capital. So go check that out at cfcapllc.com. Again, that's cfcapllc.com and enjoy the rest of the show. It's so exciting. And this really resonates with me and, and I'm sure it resonates with many of the listeners as well, because they know that especially even if, if it is the focus is, you know, growing as a real estate investor, they know that relationships are so important. And what you're talking about is about developing a true and deep relationship around more interest than just real estate, more interest than just one capacity. And this just makes me think of some of the people that I've admired the most out of history you know, in, in some ways you could maybe describe them as polymaths, right? And you think about yeah. like a Ben Franklin, as I mentioned earlier, was someone who invented, you know, uh, or, or maybe discovered electricity in many ways. He was also a diplomat. Yeah. He was a founding father. He was a scientist and, and you know, world renowned for so many different things. And I believe, and maybe Barbara, you could tell me if, if this is something that is off base or not. I believe that we all have that capacity. I believe that we all can be as as widely read and widely understood as an individual like that if we give ourselves permission to follow our passions and to, and to learn but also to apply what it means to learn more effectively because if you're going to go deep and wide and deep in different directions you've got to understand how to learn effectively do you agree with me on that barbara and then also maybe you could talk a little bit about what that means and how to really learn uh, and really really learn more effectively well, uh, I, I very much agree. I mean, there are uh, certain limitations. Um, so, you know, if, you know, let's say you had a concussion and you've had some brain damage, it may be very difficult for you to even focus enough to, you know, be able to uh, learn effectively. But for most people, I think it is absolutely possible to broaden your horizons and often broaden your horizons significantly. So I think about myself, like I have a program where I, you know, my personal program where I, I just read a book a week. So that's what I do. I do the same, Barbara. I love that. Yeah. And, <laughs> and sometimes I'm like, 
you know, you're not supposed to be doing that. You're, and I, I couldn't have done it when our kids were young. So it's, it's funny. There are two times in life where you can't really broaden your learning. And that's number one is when you're uh, in college and you're lucky if you can escape from that with any kind of a love of learning intact. Oftentimes. I agree. But the second is when you have uh, small children at home. So you just need to be respectful of the fact there are certain, you know, eras in your life that it's, it's okay to not be, um, you know, stuffing your brain with new insights. Um, and yeah, I mean, you just do what you can. Um, listening um, during two great podcasts can be a very helpful thing. Uh, so, um, but uh, but in general, I think doing more to broaden your learning um, through uh, listening to podcasts, reading books, and these kinds of things. If I didn't have this idea of, okay, I'm going to read a book a week, um, and I've been doing that for like, I don't know, maybe six, seven years now. And I've really noticed, even in myself, I have a broader depth of things. Like I can talk to pretty much anybody about pretty much anything. And it's, it, a big part of it is just, I, I read a lot and it changes my brain and it makes me look smarter than I actually am. <laughs> so, it, I mean, it, it's a win-win. So how does it actually change your brain when you learn more? Because I'm actually really curious about this. If you're maybe you're listening to a really mind expanding conversation like we're having right now and that you're blessing us with or you're reading a great book, how does it actually change your brain? I'm, I'm just really curious about this. The brain is enormously flexible. So when you are learning some or like, let's say you're listening to this right now, you are making new connections between neurons in your long-term memory in the neocortex, which is like this big uh, flat handkerchief that is over the top of your head and it's in the folds and so forth. But if you unfolded it all, it'd be about two feet by two feet and all your memories are stored in there, whatever you can get into long-term memory. So when when you're sitting and listening to this, if you're not listening with your you know, if you're just kind of catching stuff here and there, it will probably kind of glide by. It's parts of it may actually, you'll go, oh, that's a surprise. And it will stick in your memory. Uh, so it will create new sets of links there. Or if you're listening intently, and then after this podcast, for example, if you ask yourself, what were the key points of this podcast? you will remember those key points and be able to use them more easily later on because retrieval practice or re, you know, recalling the information that you've just heard is a great way to build and strengthen those sets of neural links. So, so in essence, what, I'm, what we're all doing by our, our attempts to um, listen to podcasts, to um, to read books, to learn more from various mechanisms. And incidentally, you learn just as well by listening as you do by reading. So, uh, so either way works well. But what you're doing is you're continuing to allow these new connections to grow uh, within your long-term memory. Let's say that you live a life where you're doing the same thing over and over um, you, you go in and like there used to be a job where you cut the left wing off a chicken and that was your job for 40 years. And I'm, I'm not kidding you, that was a job in, the, um, in that industry. And if that's all you do and then you go home and you make dinner and so forth, after a while, you're just not making new connections. And it can be much easier for you to be sort of restricted in what you know about what you're informed about and what and the new things even that you can learn because you haven't developed this lattice of learning that you can more you know if you're learning anything you can add more easily because you're kind of keeping your brain in training it's like being a physical athlete and you know you're you're physical well this relates to something called the meathead theory of learning <laughs> And the meathead theory of learning is basically that both muscle tissue 
and neural uh, tissue are excitable tissues. And so in that sense, they're analogous to one another. So just as it takes time to build up muscle strength, it takes time to build a neural structure of learning. So um, there's plenty of evidence that, for example, a young child who grows up, there have, believe it or not, been children who've been, who grew up for their first critical years locked in closets most of the time. They don't even have the starting framework to be able to learn effectively. They, even to learn to speak is difficult, much less trying to learn to read. But if you think about some um, older individuals who are really even worse than me about being a curmudgeon, uh, um, part of that I think relates to the fact that, you know, none of us wants to really be that kind of person who is just really inflexible about what they're thinking. And I think keeping yourself open to new learning is, is a great way to help avoid that, that sort of really narrow-minded um, perspective that can arise in people who aren't being broad about um, keeping their minds open to new ideas. So I... Barbara, you, that's worth. <laughs> you know, I, I just have this image that's coming up for me that is, it's almost like, you know, I see this brain and this head and this mind that's actually, it's like almost construction. You know, it's almost like you have the, uh, you have the cranes going up and you're building the foundation and you're digging into the earth. And it's, it's like the lattice work that you described is almost required for us to go vertical, right? If for us to learn more, you've got to have this basic um, understanding it and the ability to learn. It's almost like a muscle. I love how, how you described it as the meathead theory of learning. And it's almost like building that muscle in the capacity so that you can then continue to grow that. Are there any tips that you would suggest for the listener to really strengthen that lattice work so that they can learn more effectively? Okay. So um, I, I have to just kind of go back because you just brought up a very interesting point. So People's working memory capacity, that's like what you can hold temporarily in mind. Uh, like if I told you the number 74753, you would, um, you would hold it in mind by just kind of repeating it to yourself, uh, because that's the only way you can hold things in uh, working memory, which is almost like short-term memory. And as opposed to long-term memory, where you can hold all sorts of information once you can get it in there. So working memory, you can, on average, you can hold like maybe four pieces of information in it. Uh, some people have huge working memories, like Terry Sanowski, the, the, my co-instructor in Learning How to Learn. I mean, that guy's like super genius. He can hold a billion things in his working memory, I think. Yeah, I mean, but he's, he's also just really a nice guy. So he's... He's not like some super geniuses I know. Uh, uh, so, um, but uh, so I have a rather small working memory. So that means I had to work really hard to get things into my long-term memory. But it turns out you, whatever working memory capacity you have, you're kind of stuck with. It's like your height. You can't make it bigger. But what you can, but except for one thing, and that's learning how to read. Learning how to read raises your working memory capacity quite significantly. So it's almost like it's a basic learning how to read is basic nutrition for your brain uh, that helps you grow to whatever, you know, height, suppose, or, you know, working memory capacity you could have. And literacy helps you get there. But um, so depending on your working memory capacity, you want to approach your learning differently. So. I, for example, when I'm learning calculus or electromagnetic theory, I learn it quite differently than how Terry learns it. Because Terry's got a big working memory capacity, uh, so he can like pick things up and, and remember things really easily. And uh, I have another friend who, um, he's a, a top educator, won all these top awards. He has a uh, PhD in chemical engineering from Princeton. And he, he was always telling me, he's like, Barb, 
Memorization is not important at all. You should never tell students to memorize anything. And I'm sitting there laughing at him because I'm like, I, I remember the stories he told me of how his fraternity used to use him as this kind of mole to go in, take tests because he could remember everything. <laughs> and he'd come back and he'd write all the, uh, you know, the questions and the answers down because he could remember it all. And of course, he's telling people, don't memorize stuff because he doesn't freaking need to remember, you know, memorize things. It all comes naturally to him. So, um, so I think as far as learning tips go, if, if you have a great working memory capacity, then you can probably remember more easily. And so, uh, you know, um, your big challenge is going to be not thinking you know everything and jumping to conclusions and overlooking critical things in, uh, that are important to what you're doing, that when you skip over those things actually can land you in the ditch but you can feel so confident in your own intelligence and abilities to draw smart conclusions that you can become very inflexible about it and this again goes back to the procedural system and critical thinking and i just uh, wow you know that's the topic of you know my whole next area of research but anyway um but let's say you have a smaller capacity working memory like me what really helps you is to practice with what you're learning using retrieval practice, spaced repetition, and interleaving. So what do I mean by this? Let's say you have some key points about a certain analysis that you really want to understand and remember. Um, what you want to do is um, pick out the, keys. first off, look at the analysis, look away and see if you can retrieve from your own memory what those key points were. At first, you'll be like, I can't remember, I'm going to cheat and look. But it's not in your brain until you can retrieve it from your own long term memory. Then you want to uh, space it out over several days, retrieve it as you're walking, for example, or doing something else. Uh, if you're driving to work and it's safe and it, there's not other kinds of things going on, retrieve it while you're driving or in the shower. Um, you know, when you're doing other things, what are those key ideas? So retrieve it over several days and then think about interleaving. And you can do all these kinds of approaches simultaneously, of course. What are other methodologies that this contrasts with? And how, you know, how does it contrast with them? So I'm going to give just a different example, but there are, but let's say that you're trying to understand like different art, different styles of art, say cubism, um, you know, modernism, postmodernism. Um, what you could do is you could just study a bunch of examples of cubism, a bunch of examples of modernism, a bunch of postmodernism. Or you could just kind of study an example or two of each one and then start mixing them up to see if you can see what the differences are in those. You will actually learn far more effectively by interleaving. And all of this is making use of your procedural system. And the procedural system is a system, see there's two big systems that you learn with. One is your uh, declarative system that you learn and it goes through the hippocampus. And they first discovered this system with the patient Henry Mollison, uh, who was known as HM. And he, you know, rightly or wrongly, had both uh, hippocampi removed by a somewhat questionable surgeon in order to solve or to help alleviate all the, the epileptic fits he was having. Well, they found out that by golly, this guy couldn't remember anything new. He could remember old stuff, but he couldn't, like if you met him and walked out of the room and then walked back in, he wouldn't know who you were. So he couldn't remember anything new except for one kind of thing. If you walked into the room, shook his hand and you had a pin in your hand, so you pricked him. And then you walked back out of the room 
And then you walk back in again and you reached out with your hand to um, you know, shake hands. He wouldn't shake hands with you. He had learned something. He had learned it through his procedural system, which we are completely unaware of. He, uh, in fact, they taught Henry uh, like how to do mirror tracing, which is where you watch your hand, but through a mirror. So it's like when your hand is going one way, it actually, what you draw goes the other way. It's a hard skill to learn, but Henry learned it and he would, he would do uh, this mirror drawing with ease and he'd be like, how did I ever learn how to do this? This is, look at how good I am. He hadn't realized, but procedural learning is like how we learn to hit a basketball or, you know, throw a basketball, hit a baseball, um, learn aspects of math. It's how we learn our native language. It is an incredibly powerful pattern detection system. So it's also how we detect patterns. For example, in real estate, if you're looking for patterns, your procedural system is being informed by all the data that you are putting into that procedural system. And it comes out with a data uh, with an uh, with a output function uh, that tells you this one's a good buy. Mm-hmm. And it's it's due to all the data you've put in. And so I guess on a side note of, of this conversation is simply make sure your data that you're putting into your procedural system is truly broad because you can, um, what, especially what really smart people often like to do, and they, they just tend to do this, is it feels good to put data into your procedural system that goes along with what you think it should be. Mm. So then you come up with these conclusions and you think these are the right conclusions because they are according to your data system that you fed in. But we're understanding now from, see, in artificial intelligence, there is something called the giraffe problem. And that relates to this whole thing. And the giraffe problem is, boy, you've got me really going. I'm so sorry. I love it. You're great. This is amazing. (laughs) Uh, the giraffe problem is that um, you can ask you can ask AI to look at a bunch of pictures and tell you what it sees. And after it trains for a long time, it will come back with a lot of pictures and say, it's a giraffe. You know, and you're looking at it and going, that's a water tower. <laughs> or, you know, it's a giraffe. And you're like, no, this is a leg of a person. Um, and... The reason is because people don't just take pictures of landscapes. They take pictures of things that are special. And so oftentimes a giraffe is a very special thing and it gets labeled as a giraffe. So when uh, artificial intelligence is training, it can, when it's picking up millions and millions of pictures from the web, it can just pick up, you know, a lot of tag pictures of giraffes. So whatever you feed it after that is going to be influenced by its data set and it's going to think it's seeing giraffes no matter what. So this is called the giraffe problem. Well, it's kind of an inverse giraffe problem when it comes to really smart people making conclusions from the data they've allowed into their procedural learning system data set if they only allow certain in uh, certain types of data in their conclusions will inevitably be strongly biased and, uh, and they can do things that are not maybe the best uh, for them or for society in the long term. No, this is great. And, and I would say the flip side of what you just said is mastery. It almost seems that that input and really the recognition of patterns almost to a subconscious level to a certain degree comes to a point where then you can make effective decisions that in some ways you may not be able to intelligently describe why this is the right decision or why this is the right investment to make or why this is the right investment to pass on or why this relationship is not going to serve your interests or serve, you know, the collective interests of, of the group. And does that resonate with you, Barbara? Oh, that's, you are so perceptive. Uh, and because a big aspect of that uh, procedural system, as we've kind of alluded to before, is it's completely unconscious. You're not conscious of it. But um, what it does is it helps you see 
you can't describe, you often cannot describe how you've learned what you've learned through the procedural system, because it's, it's, it's a value function. Your observations that you make or conclusions that you make arise from thousands, even tens of hundreds, millions of data input insights that you've gotten from all sorts of things. So you output that one thing, yes, we should buy, but it's actually based on all of this stuff that you simply cannot put into words. What do you learn through the procedural system? You learn how to tie your shoes, put that into words. It is really tough to do. <laughs> Uh, how to solve a Rubik's cube. That's really tough to put into words because it's learned through the procedural system. Very much of what we learn procedurally simply cannot be put into words. And for various uh, reasons, the modern educational system has emphasized only declarative learning, which you can put into words. But learning procedurally is just as important. And it's what provides you that intuition that is, you know, and so that's exactly what you're talking about. That's so good, Barbara. My goodness. I, I tell you what, we could seriously go for five more hours. And I think we might be able to scratch our, at least our curiosity itch. But <laughs> at, at the very least, I think this has got to be the first of many conversations. And I'd love to do part two with you at a, at a near point in the future. Um, while we think about that, and while we put that on the table, I'd love to transition into what I call the rapid fire section of our podcast. Oh, no. Gosh, we call I gotta it the, think fast. Oh, that's no. right. You got to get ready. We, let's see this procedural system in action here. Uh -oh. And we call it the rare air questionnaire because what you have just described for us today and what you've really showed us is how to turn information into intelligence or really how to turn your learning and your passion and your broad passion into mastery and into expertise and and into a really rich life, which is such a such a beautiful thing. But Barbara, I'd love to ask you a few questions. The first of which as being a very wide read individual yourself, I'd love to know if you had to point to two or three of the most impactful books that you've read over maybe the past couple of years, what would those be and why? Well, I think the first one is a book called War and Peace and War by Peter Turchin. And it's uh, a wonderful book uh, about, it, it's growing from the ideas of Ibn Khaldun, who was uh, a uh, sort of, a, he's called the father of modern sociology. Uh, but it's sort of like how societies cohere and do not cohere. And often you need like a, a sort of a very alien seeming society that's coming encroaching upon yours in order to get people to actually work together. But once you've kind of overcome that alien society, then, then societies begin to decay because they have no uh, reason for internal coherence. Uh, but it's, uh, it, 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 Turchin also goes in depth and I think it's a really important in depth about how, um, if you have an oversupply of the elites, that can cause problems as, uh, you know, what do you do with all these people that are, you know, like the sons of the aristocracy and so forth in historical periods, they end up going out and making a lot of mischief, which is not necessarily a good thing. So it, I, I thought that was uh, really quite a, a magnificent book. So uh, other books. So I recently read uh, a book called The Cattle Kingdom, which I just thought, oh my gosh, how could it possibly be that I, you know, I've read all these books about American history and I never understood. It's kind of like reading about um, the U.S. history in from the 1980s to the to now, while neglecting speaking about computers. And <laughs> Silicon Valley and all this kind of stuff. I mean, it's it's like that kind of lack of knowledge uh, was my knowledge gap about American history there. So, um, so that was a fascinating book. Uh, one of my favorite books ever is Genghis Khan and the Making of the Modern World by Jack Weatherford. Uh, that's a, that's just a, a fantastic book. Uh, and of course, there's always Peter the Great which I have been banned from speaking about, uh, you know, by my wonderful husband, by Robert Massey, which is also one of my favorites. So um, 
I also recently uh, read the Book of Why by uh, by Judea Pearl. It's an excellent book that gives you a whole new way of understanding causality. Um, and the, so it, people have just said, okay, correlation is not causation. Well, what is causation? And that's what the book goes into. And Judea Pearl is one of the biggest. So those are a few just to start with. I've been excited to ask you that question this entire uh, show, because I knew you'd have some great thoughts there. And I love how you described the knowledge gap that you uncovered while reading uh, The Cattle Kingdom, uh, just because that's one thing that I, I recognize so much when I have conversations like this, when I listen to conversations like this, or when I read books, or when I endeavor in a new direction, I learn that there's a knowledge gap. And that's an exciting thing. In some ways, it can be overwhelming. But when you embark on that adventure and that journey, it can be really exciting. And of course, we could go in so many different directions with that. So I'll just, I'll leave that for, for, for next part of our conversation. But Barbara, what is the biggest way that you elevate your life on a daily basis? Oh, uh, hanging out with my husband. <laughs> uh, I just, I am the world's luckiest person. Uh, he is, um, he's just so fun to be around. We just love each other and, uh, and being, and it's really fun here where it's like we're split between the two daughters, but now we're with uh, our older daughter. And so visiting her and her family is just a very enriching thing. So I try to stop and have family time. But my husband, I have to uh, say, is also very gracious about me being a bit of a workaholic and enjoying and loving what I do. So, uh, so that's that's how I do that. That's beautiful. And what's the biggest way that you elevate others around you? Oh, I, I think by really trying to not follow the herd and to follow truth in conveying helpful information in a way that everyone can understand it and and making you know and that's hard to do because if you do it right everybody just thinks it's so easy that oh what the heck <laughs> you know what have you done you haven't added value it's super easy uh, <laughs> but it can be really hard to make things look super easy no doubt about it. And what a profound statement to follow truth and not the herd. That is an absolute call to action. I think for all of us today is to think about how are we following truth and we're not following, you know, really in line with the rest of what maybe the collective thought process is. Think differently. I love this. Barbara, this has been such an amazing conversation. Are there any parting thoughts or words of wisdom that you'd leave with Elevate Nation today? Oh, no, I think I've learned so much from your questions. So, uh, and, and I actually, I think I've come to a whole new realization about how thinking just about, um, about investing and, and real estate actually is, that's a whole new area for me that actually is incredibly important for not only for individuals, but also for how the, the country is, is going forward um, and how we work together to, to help each other and you know, sometimes our own selfish interests, seemingly selfish interests, can combine together to to make something for the that is is outstandingly helpful for the collective good of everyone. I love your desire to learn, Barbara, and I love your new passion about broadening your passions even now into real estate. And I can't wait to go on that journey with you. And Barbara, if you were to tell the listeners how to learn more about you and what you do, where would you point them? Oh, uh, just go to my website and it's uh, barbaraoakley.com. And so the course I teach with Terry Sanowski is called Learning How to Learn. And that is one of the world's largest massive open online courses. We have around three and a half million uh, students, you know, uh, on all platforms of the course. And uh, then I have the book Mind for Numbers, which is where things kind of started from. Uh, my new book coming out with uh, with my co-author um, Olaf Shewe is Learn Like a Pro. So it's like super condensed every essence of how you learned um, effectively based on really modern neuroscience. And then, of course, Uncommon Sense Teaching is my other really, um, uh, uh, that one will be coming out in June as well. 
And that is for teachers on how to teach effectively using insights from neuroscience. And it is not boring. It is really funny. <laughs> so exciting. I cannot wait to read that new book, your new books. And we'll put links in the show notes of where all the listeners can find your work and find you, of course, at barbaraoakley.com. And of course, where you can learn more about her course. And I uh, can't wait to share all the links in the show notes about the books that we spoke about today as well. So the listeners can just go to elevatepod.com and get all of those beautiful links. And my goodness, what an amazing, amazing episode. I know that I learned so much and I've deepened my passion for learning. And I hope that Elevate Nation, you can say the same. And I want to encourage you a few things. I want to encourage you to re-listen to the show because repetition can be the mother of all skill if we let it. And I also want to encourage you something that Barbara really mentioned in this episode in terms of deepening your strength of learning is repeating or pulling back. Well, what are your top three key distinctions? What are your three takeaways from this episode? And if you could share those with someone else and actually be the teacher, what an amazing way to learn and deepen your understanding of these concepts so that you can strengthen your lattice work of learning. And I just want to encourage you most importantly to take action and take massive action on what you learn because that's when I believe it becomes that procedural system and it becomes a part of your subconscious and you step into mastery. So Barbara, I just want to thank you so, so much for being on the show today. Oh, it's my pleasure. I look forward to speaking with you again. Part two coming soon, Barbara. Thank you so much. Elevate Nation. We will see you next time. Thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you for listening to Elevate. If you enjoy this episode, be sure to rate, review, subscribe, and pay it forward by sharing with a friend. Most importantly, take this opportunity to elevate your results by taking immediate action on what you learned. For more, visit elevatepod.com.